Just to let you know just a little bit about me, I have a wife who's an educator. Her name's Lisa. I have three boys, four boys. My, I always forget one. Um, I have a, a newborn. That's the one I keep forgetting about. He's eight months old. He doesn't bother anybody, you know. He cries when he's hungry. We feed him and he stops. And he doesn't cry at night, so he's just like golden. I tell his older brothers, I'm like, why can't you be more like your younger brother? Anyway. So I've got an eight-month-old. I've got three boys uh, that are in our house, eight months old. I've got a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old. And uh, we just moved yesterday, actually, to the Columbia area. And uh, we're, we're over on the other side, over in the west side. So we're in West Columbia, Lexington area right now. And uh, then I have a, another son who's kind of adopted into our family. We, we kind of uh, grafted him into the family in eighth grade when I was coaching middle school football. He's one of my athletes, did not have a father figure in his life. Nobody in his family had ever gone to college. Um, he had two of them, two of his siblings, six siblings had graduated from high school and uh, just dropped him off at uh, Miami University um, a couple of weeks ago, full scholarship, $204,000 football scholarship. He'll be the first one in his family to be able to go there. So that's my family uh, to let you know who we are, um, but also to let you know me personally and professionally, I was a student minister for 13 years. That's why I am jazzed up about y'all being on the first three rows. So if I see you down there texting, I know that you're tweeting things that I'm talking about. So don't text your friend. All right. So I'm 13 years in student ministry. We play this joke on on people that work in student ministry called Disciple Now Weekend by asking them to be host homes. And I don't know if y'all do Disciple Now Weekend, but in our church, we had host homes where kids flooded the house for a weekend and, uh, and just completely destroyed the place, actually. And, um, but they don't want to tell you that when they enlist you. But my friend uh, actually had a, a boys group in his house that put a hole in the wall. And instead of fixing it, he had such a blast that weekend with those guys, he framed it. And said it was a badge of honor. And so I never got to do that because I, I was the leader. And so a wild thing happened when I became an evangelism director of the state. I was able to actually go to church voluntarily, which was kind of weird. And so I just like started showing up. And they were like, what are you doing here? We're not paying you anymore. And I was like, well, I don't know why I'm here then. But I just started showing up. Anyway, I was a volunteer there at the church and student ministry. So I said, I want to be a host home. I want to get involved. So I called up our student ministry and I said, listen, uh, if you need a host home, I'd love to do it. I want you to give me the home that's got the, the most people that don't know Jesus. And he's like, I got the house for you. I said, all right, great. I said, who is it? He said, seventh grade boys. I said, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? I said, listen, okay, well, let me call my friend, see if he can help me. So I called up my friend Craig and I said, hey, Craig, um, listen, can you help me for Disciple Now weekend? I volunteered. I need you to help me. He said, sure, man, what you need? I said, I need your house. Because <laughs> uh, I, I, I volunteered to be a host home. And, uh, and so we worked together on this project and these guys were were, were, were quite an experience. Anyway, so on Saturday morning, we had a mission experience. And on Saturday morning, where they give the seventh grade boys of the mission experience, everybody else is helping children. Everybody else is, is redoing a school and painting it. They give us picking trash up on the side of the road because they figured the, the seventh grade boys can't mess up trash. You know what I mean? So we start and these guys, you know, they're, they're kind of focused for the first 17 minutes you know? And then we had three more hours to do. Well, when you're picking up trash on the side of the road, there's, there's all kinds of trash and trust me, they picked it all up. And, uh, and then there was roadkill and you know, seventh grade boys, you just can't walk by roadkill and let it sit there. And so one of the boys took a stick. He picked up a dead squirrel who was having a bad day. And, uh, and I said, dude, put it down, go put it down next to the dead possum who's down the road. 
And so he walked down, he put it on top of the dead possum. And then he said this, that words that would live in the infamy of Disciple Now Weekend history. He said, we've got live baby possums. Trust me, that's what I said. So I'm rushing over to try to stop the kid and the boy had already gotten the five little baby possums in his hand. And I walked up and I said, boys, first of all, step away from the rabid dead possum. Step away. And then they stepped away and I said, what are we gonna do with the baby possums? And they said, we're gonna take them to church. We're going to church. And so we were walking towards the church when we were picking up trash. We get to the church and these are like, I mean, they're, they're trophies, right? They're showing, I'm walking around going, y'all, y'all, were, y'all, were, y'all were picking up trash. We're saving lives here. We're out saving lives. And so all of a sudden it hit me. Now what are we gonna do? I mean, I don't know what to do with a little baby possum. And so I said, oh, wait a second. There's animal advocates in our town. You know, the people that are advocates for the animals. And I said, I know that they, 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 they restore little kittens and I know that they restore little puppies. I mean, we'll just take them to possums. They'll restore them back to health, man. And it'll be a one big happy family. And so I called him up and I said, listen, um, we've, we've, we've come across some baby possums and we want to we wanna, we wanna bring them to you. And she's very nice, very accommodating. She said, well, we don't take possums here. Are they not animals? I mean, I bet if they were cute little cuddly kittens, you'd be dying. You'd have people coming running in to to get the little baby kittens to to, to, to try to restore them back to health. But what about the possums? Who's going to take up for the possums? And I was thinking to myself, you know what? You're an animal advocate. A possum's an animal. You've got to change your attitude or change your name. I'm sorry. I just get excited. I mean, you know, these are possums. So luckily, I'm from Barnwell. The guy... Whoops. The guy, that's, the guy that's in the group that found him, he calls his mom up and he says this. Listen, mom, what you want me to do with these possums we just found? And mama says, put them in a sock, bring them home, put them in the cage next to the baby squirrels. Okay, I'm not going to ask any questions. Just do it, man. Just do it. And then it hit me. I was thinking, you know, surely that's got to have some kind of story, some kind of point. And I said, you know what? Maybe the church at large is just like that. Maybe, maybe we're advocates for those who kind of look like us, talk like us, act like us, kind of have the same family makeup as us. And we'll let everybody else worry about those other people. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes the church at large will be advocates for those who may be able to help them. But for those who might be a drain on them, they kind of let somebody else deal with that. Now, I'm not talking about your church. I'm just talking about all the rest of them. Maybe, maybe, maybe the church doesn't have a method problem, meaning that it has to change some of its programs or make them better, change some of its music, make it better. Maybe the church at large has a mission problem. We have forgotten why we exist. And so if we're not celebrating reaching out to those people, maybe we're missing out on what God wants us to do. And that's why in the scripture, in Luke chapter 5, which I'd love for you to turn there with me, I believe Jesus has a story to tell. And it's about some of those people. Luke chapter 5, verse 12 Jesus is, has just come off of talking with Peter and 
And he says to Peter, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Come and follow me. And then it was almost like Jesus says, and this is how you do it with this next story that we read. You see, Jesus says, Peter, follow me, and I'm going to show you what I'm talking about. I'm going to show you what it looks like to be a fisher of men. And the next story we read is the story of the leper. The scripture reads, while Jesus was in one of those towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and he begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yeah, the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and he prayed. You see, in this story, we hear of this disease called leprosy, which sometimes in our head, it, it, it triggers, oh, that's not something that happens here. That's something that happened a long time ago. Or it might trigger in our head, oh, that's not something that happens here, but it might happen on other sides of the world. Well, you're right. It does happen on other sides of the world. In fact, I want to introduce you to a guy that's got a picture here of a man who's in a leper colony right now in India. This individual's picture was taken by one of the missionaries that's in the Columbia area. He goes to the leper colony church. It's about 300 strong. And he goes there and he goes and he preaches to these uh, individuals. And he said he makes it a point to go around and touching each and every one of the individuals, kind of like those teenagers on the mission trip that said, hey, I don't care if you got chicken pox, I'll hug you up anyway. This disease starts with specks on the eyelids and on the palms, and it gradually spreads all over the body. It bleaches the hair white wherever it appears. And then you begin to have pieces of your body that fall off. This disease, though, is much different. It's, it's not just a topical disease. It actually starts uh, in the bloodstream, and then it's also in uh, the bone. It actually goes to the core of who you are. And because of that, it begins to appear on the outside. You might be thinking, oh, there's no way I'd get that disease. I mean, I, that's something that happens in other countries where they don't have advances in medicine. Well, let me introduce you to Amy Copeland. Some of you may have heard of her. She's a college student at the University of West Georgia, full of life, good person, strong in her faith. And one month ago, she was hanging out with friends, actually two months now, at a river, and she was doing a zip line. And the zip line broke, it cut her leg, she fell down in the murky waters, got back out, fine, everything was good, leg kind of hurt, not a big deal. Then it started to get infected the next day. And then the next day they realized something was seriously wrong. They went to the hospital and they realized to their shocking discovery that she had a flesh-eating bacteria. There's nothing you could do to stop it. The only thing you could do is begin to cut off limbs in order to, to stop the progression. And so all of a sudden she found herself in multiple organ failure. She found herself on a respirator fighting for her life. She had to remove her leg, her foot, both hands. And the picture you see today is, is the old Amy. It's not the new Amy. And you know, somebody that was inflicted with that disease, you know, you would, you've got a, def, a lot of different options. You could either, number one, say, is there a God at all? 
You could say, if God's so wonderful, why does he let bad things happen to good people? Which actually, the better question is, why does God let anything good happen to bad people? You you see, we're all infected with a disease. It's called sin. And because of that sin, it starts on the inside core and it works its way out in our actions. And we're all infected with it. We, We can't just get rid of it. You see, sin is a picture of what that that leprosy or the flesh-eating bacteria does physically, it's what happens to us spiritually because of our sin. And our only response to the sin in our life is with desperation to come and fall at the feet of Jesus. You see, because desperation always leads to restoration. Desperation leads to restoration. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground. And he begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. You see, when he falls at Jesus' feet, it says in another translation, in Mark, I mean, in another verse passage, Mark 141, that Jesus had compassion. He was filled with compassion for the person. I think the problem is not Jesus wanting to save us. I think the problem is that we are not desperate for God. I think we believe the lie that we are a pretty good person. And deep down, if we had a one-on-one conversation, we just got real. Some of you in here may say, you know what? I've really not done anything that bad to deserve hell. You know, really deep down, we start to think, is it, is it, is it really, is there really any need for me to actually come to Jesus? Or is he just kind of that, that, that Jesus that fits in your pocket that you pull out on Sunday morning and you do what you want to do Monday through Saturday? But you see, we have to come with desperation to God. And some of you have come with desperation to God a long time ago, and you have forgotten what it was like. And maybe you just need to remember. Desperation always leads to restoration, and and Jesus wants the world to be saved and restored. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, the scripture reads, This is good and pleasing, pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. But there's a problem. In Matthew 9, 36, it says, When he saw the crowds, Jesus had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. And like a sheep without a shepherd, he says to his disciples this, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the field because only the Lord can change your heart. That's why I asked you to give God permission today. Only the Lord can change your heart for the lost and cause you to go out into the world and care about those people. Now, the neat thing is that when you are restored, you can't keep quiet. If you're really following Jesus and he has cleaned you up and restored you, you can't keep quiet. Because restoration leads to proclamation. You you can't help but proclaim who Jesus is and what he's done in your life. You can't help. It just comes out in conversation. I'm not meaning that you go and grab every friend you've got and start talking to them about the, the four spiritual laws. I mean that in conversation, you are constantly bringing up how Jesus has changed your life. If he's changed it. If he's restored you because you were desperate. And then Jesus orders him actually 
He orders and he says this. He says, don't tell anybody, which would be a bad evangelism strategy if I thought. You know what I mean? All right, listen. Don't tell anybody when you leave here about Jesus. And some of you are thinking, you can't, you can't do that. I've got to. I've, I've got these friends. I've got to go and talk to them. And some of you are thinking, oh, whew, praise God, because I wasn't doing that anyway. But Jesus says, don't tell anyone. But go first and show yourself to the priest. You see, if you had leprosy, you had to go to the priest for him to declare you clean among the people so that you could walk around not as a renegade and not be breaking the, the, even the laws of the Old Testament. He, he says, first go there. Let him pronounce you clean. Then you can let everybody know about it. He says, first go there. Don't tell anybody. Go straight there and let them see. I want them to see what's happened. God has restored you. And so he goes. And it says the news spread about him all the more. Somehow, we have got to get involved in the individual lives of people in Northeast Columbia. The only way you're going to do that is on an individual level. You see, we have, to, we have to move and change the responsibility of the lost from the pulpit, bring your friends to church, let the preacher tell them about Jesus... We've got to change the responsibility from the pulpit to the pew and from the institution, the programs that we have, to the individual. Only then, only then will you see movement. If we change our systems and plant a few more churches, we'll see incremental growth. But guys, listen, there were 3.6 million lost people this today, right now, that are not inside the walls of a church anywhere. We baptized 20, 000, I mean, 18,000 last year. If we continue to incrementally increase that, we are on track right now to, to impact the lostness of South Carolina in about 240 years if nobody's born and nobody moves into the state. The only way we're going to see movement is if it moves to the individual and you take the responsibility of the relationships that you've got. Now, at 1.45 in the morning, I was dead asleep. And, and the, somebody began banging on my door. And that's always an odd thing. And in Barnwell, where I'm from, I mean, you better have a shotgun if somebody's knocking on your door that late. I mean, it's just the way it is. And so my wife says, hey, go downstairs and see what's going on. And so I went downstairs and my neighbor had her face planted to the window and she's going, your house is on fire. Your house is on fire. And I was thinking, no, it's not. I'm standing in my house. There's no smoke here. And she's frantically pointing behind me. And I slowly turned around and I looked out my kitchen window and this is what I saw. It was my man shed. All my man stuff, the stuff you can't replace. You know, man, what I'm talking about. Those tools that you've had for 25 years passed down from grandpa. I mean, you, I mean, I had stuff in that shed. I'm sitting there looking at, oh my goodness, this is not supposed to be happening. So I picked up the phone. I called 911. They said, the call's already been placed. We're on our way. Then my wife came downstairs. She was not as calm as I was. And she said, oh my goodness, I got to get the kids who I had forgotten about. Because I was thinking, I mean, my lawnmower was in there. I just bought it. So she runs upstairs, and if you're seven or nine years old, you never want your parents to wake you up like this. The house is on fire! You don't want that to happen. It'll change your life. And so she comes rushing downstairs, and she busts out the front door, out the side, which I thought was kind of funny because the fire was outside. So I told her she didn't think it was that funny. And so I went outside behind her, and when I got outside, my neighbor is next door in his boxer shorts with his water hose, and he's spraying his lawn. And I'm thinking, seriously? 
like, what are you doing? He's like, man, you need to get your, you need to get your hose too. I said, for what, man? Look at this blaze. I can't get even close to it. He said, because of the sky, look up. And that's when I saw the embers falling out of the sky on top of my house and on top of the pine straw next to my house. And that's when it hit me that 30 minutes later and my whole house might've been on fire. You know, that, that wash of emotion that comes over you and that feeling of helplessness and wow, I could have, my whole family could have been in grave, imminent danger. And so the cavalry rode in and fire trucks and, and, and they come flying in. And, and the, most of these guys are in my Sunday school class. And I mean, we're all related down in Barnwell. And so th- th- these guys come in and, and you know, if, if, if you know anything about firemen, if they're going to get woken up in the middle of the night, they're going to just assume everybody else be up too. I mean, sirens are going, they're coming and flying into the neighborhood. And, and I don't know if we have any volunteer firemen or, or policemen here, but I, I think that we far too often forget you and we need to thank you more often because you do a phenomenal job and the work that you do on a volunteer basis is unbelievable. And I think even churches ought to go and just grab those firemen, those policemen have a, have a day for them just to tell them we thank you and we love you and we appreciate you. Uh, because all these guys had jobs and they all came up in the middle of the night. They came to my house and then they, they never went to sleep. And they went straight to their work the next day. Well, these guys fly, and I saw the expression on their face. The doors flung open on the fire trucks, and they're like, oh, man, it's a shed fire. We wanted to save somebody. I was like, save my, my shrimp. It's in the freezer in the, in the fire. And so they just start blowing, and it was like 20 minutes. They had the whole thing out, and, and I was standing next to one of my buddies, and he said, I need to tell you something that happened tonight. I said, what? He said, somebody called the fire department directly. And they said, I think my neighbor's house is on fire. And so I said to her, I said, well, uh, what, where, what, what address are they at? And she said, well, I don't know what address they are. And so I said, well, uh, just hang up, call 911 and tell them your address. And she said, well, why do they need my address? He said, well, ma'am, if we get to your address, we can stand on the porch next to you and probably see the fire. <laughs> and she says this, she says, well, I'm not sure if I want to get involved. What? He said, ma'am, you don't have to get involved. It's anonymous. Just call 911. Just say the word fire. They'll, they'll, the address will be on there. Everything will be fine. She said, I'm not sure if I want to go that far. He, she, he said, excuse me? She said, I'm just not sure if I want to get involved. He couldn't believe his ears. And then the 911 uh, tone went out. Somebody else had called my next door neighbor and he said, ma'am, I'm going to have to go and hung up the phone. You know what you felt like just then when I said that? Like, how could anybody do that? How could anybody, if they see somebody else in imminent danger, not get involved? Watch out. Do you know the spiritual condition of the people who live on your street? Do you know the spiritual condition of the individuals who live even next door to you or those who you've been going to work with for the last 10 years? They may be in imminent danger and you still have not gotten involved. What about those family members who come to your house every Christmas and you kind of know where they stand and you still have not gotten involved? Listen. If you would just take one person and pray for one person, that God would use you to reach 
one person. God's going to put the person on your heart. And then if you pray that prayer all year, I promise you, he's going to answer the prayer. And if you pray that one prayer, and then you love that one person and start the conversation with them about Jesus, in the course of a decade, you'll have 10 people that you were responsible for. Some of them will come to know Jesus. Some of them will not. But you have for 10 years talked to them about Jesus. Do you realize that if every Baptist did that in the state of South Carolina, we would be done with the mission of taking the message of the gospel to our state in a decade? It'd be only 10 years. We'd be done. One person, one year, 10 years, 10 people. That's it. The invitation today is for for two people. The first one is the person in here who knows that their sin is eating them from the inside out and they are desperate now in knowing they need Jesus. You don't have to wait on someone to come to you. You're here today. You come during the invitation time and let Phil know that you want Jesus to be the Lord of your life. You don't put it off another Sunday. Maybe you've been coming here 20 years and you've never had that desperation of knowing that your sin was separating you from God and knowing you needed Jesus. You come and talk to him today and let him know that you need Jesus, that you're desperate for him because you have a disease and you can't clean yourself up or try to be a better person. It doesn't work that way. You can't wash your hands and try to make it go away. It's not going to go away unless Jesus comes into your life and changes your heart and saves you from your sin. Don't you want to be restored? Don't you want to be restored and let Jesus come in and change your heart, give you clean hands so that you might be able to take the message of the gospel to the world? And the second invitation is for the church, the individuals, you. The the invitation is for you to get involved with the lepers of our world. Because listen, we live in a world of lepers. There are people around you all the time that look different than you, that act different than you, that that may be even unsafe for your kids. And there are people out there all the time who we pretend like they do not exist. We pretend like they don't live in the neighborhood right next to us. We pretend like they aren't standing on the side of the road when we pass by. We pretend like they aren't children who have no father figure, who desperately need someone to get involved in their life. We live in a world of lepers. Jesus is willing and compassionate for them. He cares about them. He cares as much about them as he cares about you. And what he's told us in the scripture is pray that the Lord of the harvest sends labors into the harvest to go after them and bust out of the walls of the church and Take the message of the gospel to them because I promise that some of them are not going to feel comfortable coming here for the first time. You're going to have to go to them and tell them about Jesus out there. We live in a world of lepers and they desperately need 
to be changed and clean. And some of them are in desperation and they want restoration and they need to know how. It's your job. Maybe those lepers don't look like some of these. Maybe those lepers look like those who seem to have their whole act up together, got all the money they need and they work in the cubicle next to you. Get involved because if it's just one person, one prayer, we could change the world starting right here in Northeast Columbia. Let's stand together as we pray. Father, we come before you now acknowledging you as king and pray, Lord, that we might get serious about what you're calling us to do. And so, Lord, as the individuals of this church here today begin to process what you've challenged them to do, I pray that you might put that person on their mind right now that you want them to go and talk to. Right now, everybody's standing up. They know that the service is about to be over. They know there's an invitation time coming. I pray that you impress on their heart right now one person and that they might write that name of that person down before they get home today. Lord, use them to change the world one person at a time. And if there's someone in here today who is in desperate need of you, I pray, Lord, that you might draw them to yourself even today and they might get that straight with you by coming and talking to someone who knows Jesus that might be able to lead them. In Christ's name we pray, amen.